the kids. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3. Today, uh, we're going to finish up what we started a number of weeks ago, actually. Uh, we started a long time ago on, on different aspects of heaven and hell. And then we ventured and looked at what is heaven going to be like. And we looked at worship, Revelation 4 and 5. And then to kind of finish this whole series up on end times, just end times as far as that part of it, we started looking at rewards. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, last time I was in the pulpit, I think it was last time, we looked at 1 Corinthians 3, and then we went on vacation for a couple of weeks. By the way, Excellent to be gone, excellent to be back. <laughs> you know, I, I was, as we were driving, once you hit the like the West Virginia border, it's like, oh, please get me home. But it's 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 always good to be gone for a little bit. It for me, it was definitely spiritually refreshing. And uh, but again, I am so glad to be back home and back with you and just back in normal routine. I'm a routine type person. I like my routine. But again, we want to finish this series up. Actually, I want to finish it up today. We could make two messages out of it. We're not going to. Uh, I'll probably have to skip some things. But the point is, is we just want to look at the judgment seat. The fact is, someday we are all going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, everyone's going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, will it be at the judgment seat to receive reward? or the great white throne to receive damnation. But we all stand before Him, and our works are judged. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a little bit. Again, I want to be very clear from the very beginning that we are not saved by works. Ephesians 2, what does it say? For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Our salvation is based solely on the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross. Well, first of all, He lived a perfect life. That's active perfection. Then He went to the cross. That's passive in the sense He allowed Himself to be killed. And He sacrificed Himself on our behalf. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And, as, and, as though, and then He died, was buried, rose again. And for those are willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, their complete hope. He literally he takes our sin and transfers His righteousness to your account. That's called imputation. And no matter what I say today, I want you to make sure you understand that. That salvation is free. It wasn't cheap, by the way. It cost Jesus His life. But it's free. It's a gift. But again, there's something after salvation in the sense of reward. And that's what we want to look at today. Uh, by the way, I, I, I forgot all about this. I mean, I see it here. Uh, the rose is in what? What do you think the rose is for today? Sanctity of life, right? By the way, do you know how many babies the United States has murdered because of sanction? How many is it now? I don't even know. It was, I think, 53 million last year. I think it's 54. Huh? 56 million. 56 million. So again... Um, this is to remember, and this is to pray, and this is to uh, do, you know. I, I find it sad that Christians won't even vote. Something as simple as a freedom of being able to vote, eh, we don't vote. If just Christians would vote, so many things would change. But the judgment seat, in it to win it, in it to win it. Let me give you a little story. In a recent NCAA cross-country championship that was held in Riverside, California, there was 127 or 128 runners. Okay, so they started out on this 10,000 meter course. Of the 128, 100, 123 of them missed a critical turn in the race. One competitor, Mike Delcavo, stayed on the 10,000 meter course and began waving for fellow runners to follow him. Delcavo was able to convince only four other runners to go with him. Four out of 128. Only four went down the right path. Asked what his competitors thought of his mid-race decision not to follow the crowd, the Calvo responded, quote, they thought it was funny that I went the right way, end quote. I, I just kind of got a chuckle out of that. They thought it was funny that I went the right way. 
Sometimes that's how, I mean, that's definitely how the world thinks of Christians. That's funny that you do it the right way. Again, they would say, it, you're a fanatic, you're crazy. Why would you give yourself to a, to a person? But you know, sometimes even among Christians, those who are fanatical, those are com- who are committed, those who are really making eternity count are looked upon by other Christians like, man, don't get so fanatical. Don't, go, don't be so crazy about Christianity or however you want to say that. I just got to thinking, you know, are we all going down the same path as far as in it to win it? Are we all going down the path of really keeping our eyes on eternity? In fact, let's say it more specifically, are we really keeping our eyes on the fact that as Romans 14.10 says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. See, that was what was driving Paul like in... in uh, Second Timothy, when he says, I have fought the good fight. Now, just think of the intensity in his voice. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I mean, there's intensity. He knew he could have fallen away, fallen by the wayside, not losing his salvation, but losing the reward. And yet he's saying, I, I did it. I, I, I walked with Christ. I finished. I kept. And then he ends that verse by saying, now there is stored up for me the crown, the Stephanos, of righteousness. I'm in this race, I'm in this world to, to win. Not just to just kind of serve myself. Uh, this morning, uh, I was down in ABF. By the way, if um, uh, Charlie, M- uh, Ch- Charlie, Charlie uh, Edgecombe is uh, teaching a class on uh, counseling, uh, I don't even know, what, what do we even call it? How, how to change and grow, I guess, or but the point is, it's an excellent, excellent class on how to change and grow. How, how, how does change come about in our, our lives? And it's from a heart, uh, you know, from the groundwork of the heart on up. I say that for a couple of reasons. If you're not in an ABF, maybe you, you know, are an AIG, and I'm not trying to get anybody from Answers in Genesis downstairs. But if you're not in a, an ABF, I would strongly encourage you to come to that. that. That is just very, very good stuff. In fact, and I say this because I've studied counseling and counseling for many years. I was learning a lot of things. Like, yeah, that's it. Or it just cements in my heart. Yes, that's how you change and grow. Or if you want to have someone help someone else to change and grow. It's really, really good stuff. It's going to be about 20 weeks long. Go to, you know, sometime in uh, end of May, 1st of June. I strongly encourage you to do it. But, but why am I bringing it up here? Because again, if we're going to finish the race well, we need to change and grow. It's not just about, yeah, I received Jesus, now just leave me alone. And one of the things that Charlie had on uh, this morning was talking about was in every decision we make, either we can serve self or serve God. We can either have God's thoughts about me or uh, myself's thoughts about me, how I think about myself, or God's. And again, we need to be—we need to learn how to change and grow because again, we are all going to stand before Jesus Christ. I, I want to be able to look, have Him look at my life and say, "Yes, you were changing and growing to be more like me." That's what He should say. So again, do you believe Christ's promises? Do you believe what the Word of God says, that we are all going to stand before Him? Uh, do you believe what He says when He says in Luke 6, Blessed are you when, you when men hate you. Now think about this. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when they cast your name as evil uh, for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. Now, up to that point, you would say, What? How in the world would I ever count that as good? Rejoice in that day and leave for joy. This is why. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. He tells you right up front. You walk with me. You suffer for me. Your reward will be great. See, you've got to believe that there's a judgment day coming. There is a reward day coming to suffer. If you don't believe in the reward thing, you will try to get all your pleasure right now. You will try to get all your, you know, live for yourself right now. You will struggle with living for yourself right now because why? This is all there is. But if you believe, no, there is definitely a reward day coming. Sacrifice then is on the table. Jesus again, Luke 6, Love your enemies, do good and lend, and hoping for nothing in return. This is to your enemies. Why? And your reward will be great. See, Jesus went, I think it's ten times he talked about reward. Ten times just about that one word reward. Ten times he referenced it. You know what? 
Live for me. Live for the kingdom. Why? Because your reward will be great. Now, as I close down today, I, I, I stepped back and I said, you know, I, I had this message all done. And then I thought, you know what? I need to resolve a few misconceptions. I'll tell you why. Because if I don't resolve the misconceptions during the entire message, you'll say, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's scriptural, but it really doesn't affect me. And let me give you the four that are on your outline. The first one is this, that there will actually be a serious review of your life at the judgment. See, some, in fact, a lot of Christians, I don't think, really believe there will be a serious review. Oh, there will be a judgment, but it's not going to be that serious. The argument kind of goes like this. As far as God is concerned, our past failures and sins do not exist. I mean, it is true that your sins have been cast in the depths of the sea, that as far as the east is from the west, no longer do I remember. I, you know, your sins, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. And, and Christians start thinking, and we're not in a, under a state of condemnation. There's no more longer a, you know, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. Uh, we have everlasting life. And the idea is this, doesn't Calvary cover it all? By the way, Calvary does cover it all. But there's still rewards beyond that. In other words, sometimes salvation, because it's free and because it's complete, sometimes we just say, well, yeah, but however I live, he understands. Let me throw out a thought. Does God take very serious walking with him? Yeah, think about Ananias and Sapphira. Lied. What happened? Struck dead. Spouse comes in. What happens? Struck dead. That's serious. Let me give you another one. David, he looks, commits adultery, commits murder. In the process of all that, actually, he, commit, he uh, actually broke all of the Ten Commandments. I mean, all the different aspects of the Ten Commandments were being broken with his series of sin. Now, he was judged for sin even after he had confessed. Now, this is what I want you to think. Second Samuel says this, So David said to Nathan, remember when he said, Thou art the man? And I have sinned against the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9, If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. And many times we just want to put like a period right there. Because he said, you, your, your sins put away and, your, and, and you shall not die. Because that was on David's. He knew that an adulterer and a murderer should be killed. And Nathan said, nope, you have been forgiven and you will not die. However, <laughs> that's the, one of the biggest howevers in Scripture. Because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Now, think about what we've learned from that, that example. Ananias and Sapphira reminds us that God judges us for our unconfessed sin. David reminds us that God judges us for sins, and I would say the consequences, that have even been confessed and forgiven. Judicial forgiveness is one thing, but the discipline of the father inflicts on his wayward children is quite another. And you say, well, that's in this life. The Lord is very serious about our walk with him. And sometimes we think, well, he's not going to be that serious. at the day. No, the day of judgment is a very serious day. That's why it's called the day. That's why in Corinthians 11 it says, for this reason, as we come to the Lord's table, that's the context, for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep, many even die. And then we have in 1 John the sin leading to death. Now I bring all this up only to say there are a lot of different illustrations in Scripture saying this. We need to take very serious our walk with Jesus. Very, very serious. And not just think, well, He understands. Because 1 Corinthians says, 15, if you're there, it says they will suffer loss. That's serious loss. That's for eternity. They will suffer loss. There's a, some of us here will suffer great loss at the day of judgment. Now think about it. Great loss. Doesn't have to be that way. But again, if we live to ourselves, that's why I say, I strongly encourage you, if you're not going to the other ABF, 
come on downstairs and learn how to change and grow because it's about changing and growing that we will stand before the Lord having walked with Him. Now again, it's not merit as far as salvation. It's walking with Him. That's serious. That's serious stuff. So that's the first misconception that it's not really that serious. Misconception number two, that even after our salvation, our works have no merit before God. Again, salvation, as I just said, is a free gift. Salvation is because of grace, the graciousness of our Father. It's through faith. That's the conduit. But like Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the, what? the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, salvation itself is it's free. It's for all sinners, whoever was willing to appropriate Christ's sacrifice. By the way, when you get saved, you're all equal. <laughs> It's not like, well, you know, you're a woman. Yeah, you only got saved halfway. It's all appropriated equal. It's, you know, not by race. It's male or female, right? I mean, the whole, all equal. I know that's so common to you. You say, well, of course, right, whatever. No, no, think about that. When you receive Jesus Christ, it's equal forgiveness. It's equal footing. It's equal in the family. You've been brought in. But again... Sometimes because of that, we falsely conclude that our works after salvation are also non-meritorious. Like it really doesn't matter. See, because you can put so much emphasis on that it was by grace, which it is. And it's nothing to do with works. That You don't get saved at all by any works. One little dependence on works is like uh, cyanide to the salvation mix, right? It just destroys it. It's the other gospel. But sometimes we have we've thought so hard on that, which is truth. We forget, wait a second, but after salvation, God has called us to a walk, and a walk that He says, listen, you walk with me and I will reward you. Great is your reward. So again, rewards are awarded to the saints. That's why Paul in Corinthians 9 says, run the race. That's why he's using the word run in in chapter 9, verse 24. Again, there are degrees. There's not degrees of being saved, but there are degrees of reward. There are degrees of reward. And it's, and it's interesting because the word reward, mythos, is really, the idea is this, uh, wage earned. And again, for an evangelical, we just say, what? what do you mean wage? There's no wage. There's no, well, no, not for salvation, but as we walk with Him and sacrifice for Him and suffer for Him and go through tribulations for Him and trials for Him, He uses the word that says wage. I'll, I'll pay you back. You live for me, I will pay you back. Now, that doesn't that almost sound heretical? Well, I'm not talking salvation. But I am talking about reward. Okay? See? Or as one man said, it was actually Luther's friend back in the 1500s, there will be distinctions in the glory of the saints. There will be distinctions. So, that, so, the, so the second... Thing that we have to, the misconception is that it doesn't have any merit. Well, no. God is so gracious and so merciful and so righteous that He says, you know, as you walk with me, I will reward you. The third misconception would be this that it is selfish to think of rewards as a proper motivation to serve. I remember being in one of the my theological classes back in uh, the days of practical. That was when practical was practical. And the idea was, you know, is it really right to live your life for reward? Well, actually, if you go, since you're in First Corinthians, go to Second Corinthians chapter five. It answers it real quick. This is the first passage that we were in a few weeks ago. Second Corinthians chapter five. It says, verse nine. Verse nine is a passage I use all the time in counseling. In other words, what's your goal? You know, you look at a person, you say, what's your goal? I can look at you and say, what's your goal in life? Well, my goal is to have a happy family. And my goal is to be able to retire and not have to worry about finances. Uh, my goal is to make my wife happy. By the way, how many husbands have that? As a, um, well, those are sub-goals. Sub I mean, some of that stuff might be okay. You know, it's okay to say, yeah, I'd like to have enough to have, you know, for retirement. This is your goal, though, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, our target, our goal, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. I live my life to be pleasing to Jesus. Why? Look at verse 10. 
because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is, it is totally appropriate to say, you know what? A motivation of my life is because I stand before Him. <laughs> and I want to get reward. That is totally acceptable. In fact, verse, look at verse 11 since you're there. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. He's talking about Christians there. We persuade men. It's totally acceptable for me to go to one of you and say, you know what? Based on the fact that we're going to be standing before Jesus and reward, walk with Him. If you look in verse 14, I think it talks about, and love constrains us, compels us. That's another motivation. So you have three motivations there. Pleasing, why do I want to please Him? Why do I want to walk with Jesus? I have reward. Why else? Because He's the judge. I mean, He's my brother, but He's going to be standing in the judgment seat. But also love, just love, just pure grace. Just because He loves us, right? We love Him because He first loved us. So it's, it's totally acceptable to say, you know what? I'm doing this, part of it is because of rewards. That's why Christ said it ten times. Great is your reward, or your reward will be, you know, and that type of thing. Jesus was trying to motivate His disciples. Walk with me, because His reward's coming. And then finally, the fourth misconception is this. Won't we just cast our crowns... By the way, that would be a great group, group's name. um, Won't we just cast our crowns before Him anyways? We saw this in Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Around the throne, this is in heaven, the 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And I think they represent the church. And in verse 10 it says this, The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worships Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns, their gold crowns, before the throne saying, and then goes on, um, one scholar said this of the because there's like five different crowns in Scripture. You have the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, the crown of exaltation. Different passages. It's not important at the moment to look at them, but this is what the author said. He said the crown of is the Greek genitive of apposition. Now, again, I'm glad a Greek scholar said this because I would have no idea. But the point is this. He says you could more clearly translate it this way. The crown which is righteousness. The crown which is exaltation. The crown which is glory. And the crown which is life. I.e. all refer to the fullness of the believer's promised reward. The fullness. And, and, And the reason I'm bringing all this up is this. I think, one, the revelation crowns and what we have are two different things. So in other words, it's not this. That you get rewarded, and after you get rewarded, and you live the life of sacrifice and everything, now you just cast it before Christ, and now everybody's equal, and we go into eternity. I think the word fullness is the key. Those who walk with Him in eternity will have a greater understanding of the fullness of the righteousness that has been stowed on them and the glory that has been given to them. In other words, it's not that anyone is unequal in heaven, but maybe the understanding and the responsibility given to that person is different, and that's the reward. Okay. Now, I know, I, I'm t- I know right now some of you say, whoa, hey, whoo, whoo. I'm just comparing all Scripture, and I'm saying, you know what? This thing called the judgment seat is a very, very serious issue. Very serious. And quite honestly, it's, it's really hit my heart saying, wow, you know, I can't just think that I can live however, and then at the end, you know, and then I cast, and then everything is done, and we just go on to eternity. We will all be in eternity. If you're, if you're a Christian, you'll be there. If you're a Christian, it'll be bliss. If you're a Christian, you will be able to worship. I mean, all those things are equal. But maybe the fullness will be different. Maybe the responsibilities. I say maybe because I think that's what it is. So, in other words, it does have effect. Does it have effect 10,000 years from the judgment day? Yes. Yes. And that's all I'm trying to say. Understand that what has been given will be truly yours. I think Luke 14 says that. So again, we look at this and we say it's serious. It's different for different people, having, the, as it were, the levels of glory, if you will, that it's proper to have the motivation to serve for reward, and it will be lasting. It will be lasting. 
So we put on our work boots as it were and say, Lord, use me because I want to I, I wanna be rewarded. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3. If you're not there, you can turn and we're just going to... One of the things I learned today, this is one of the things I thought about today is uh, I'm going to give them a real long introduction. I just did, 24 minutes I think it was. Okay, I gave you a long introduction. Now, with that introduction being done and the misconceptions out there at least, and hopefully you're saying, okay, I understand where you're going. I understand what Scripture says. Now we can kind of hit this a little bit quicker because the introduction and the foundation is laid as far as the message. Okay, look at verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You're a believer in Him. You are a fellow worker. You're God's field. You are God's building. You're... You're, you're part of what God is doing. And we find the foundation, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver... Oh, excuse me, verse 11. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ. And that's the first major point on your outline. The foundation is Christ. In other words, Christianity is not an ethic primarily. It's not a, a way of life. That's not what Christianity is primarily. Christianity is about a person the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the person. And the one who came to save me is the one ultimately who's going to judge me. Thankfully, by the way, he is the Savior judge. He's not the judge who wants to condemn. In fact, I hope you don't get that at all. This, the whole way that... See, when it comes to the great white throne, yes, the unsaved stand before him, the books are opened, the judgment is laid down, they're cast in the lake of fire. That's damnation. Here, the idea, this because Jesus spoke of it, and Paul spoke of it, and John the Apostle spoke of it. The idea is this. This is, what, this is how Scripture lays it out. Come on, guys, let's do it! Because there's a day coming. In other words, it's like a coach. Listen, I'm going to push you, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to even sometimes say, why, you know, when you're here at 6 in the morning, running around, and there's frost on the ground. But I'm doing it for a purpose because when you get into the race, I want you to finish well. Except this is the, the, the race of life. And the end is everything because it determines so much about how you will function in eternity. So this, this is our Lord. This, is, this is an encouraging passage. So we have the foundation, Christ. And then we have the materials. You know, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, stubble. And we saw this before. It's the contrast between what is valuable and permanent and indestructible, gold, silver, precious stones, and what is not permanent, (laughs) what is inferior, what is temporary, what is destructible, wood, hay, stubble, you know, wood, hay, straw. By the way, wood, hay, straw, that's what you use for a, a building. You know, wood would be the door and... You know, the hay they would use for literally the walls. Straw usually was used more for the roof. But what he's saying is you're building. But the question is, are you building with material that's going to last or building uh, with material that's not going to last? And you might say, well, so so tell me how to build well. (laughs) You know? I mean, do I build with hay or do I build with concrete blocks? Ah, yeah, whatever. By the way, we are building with our motives, our motivations. Uh, why do we do such a thing? Why, do, why we do a thing is as important as what we are doing. <laughs> I don't mean to say this, but that's why this class is so important. Because it gets to the hard issue. Sometimes you can have a person, they look really good, and yet their motivations really are pathetic. People-pleasing, fear of man... You know, just, you know, who's looking, anxiety, fear, things that are being driving, and the actions will look great. They look, oh, he's a really solid Christian. And then all of a sudden a trial happens and they fall apart and, you know, leave the faith and leave the relationships. And you say, how did that ever work? Because their motivations weren't right. Now that same thing can happen on how we serve Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you. I'd like to ask the, the husband, could you tell me how she is at home? <sighs> well, how can you say praise you, Jesus, if that's happening? Or him, or whoever. You know what I mean? 
The idea is the motive. But why you do what you do? Why do we serve? Why do we witness? Why do we pray? Why do we give? Why do I want to be a godly man for my wife? Which I'm not sometimes. I fall off the wagon periodically. Why do I want to be a godly parent? Why do I want to be a godly employee, if I will, or pastor? Or you? You know, why, why? Because Corinthians says he will bring to light the things that are hidden in darkness. And he, being Christ, discloses or reveals the motives of men's hearts. He makes clear. That's 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. That's a very... 1 Corinthians, that's just a few verses after this passage we're in. He says, because he's the one that opens and reveals and discloses and shines the spotlight on our heart. And so as we serve in all the things we do, let's make sure our motivations are correct. This was uh, Frank Prinzies, I think one of his favorite verses. I heard him quote it many times or write it to me many times. Romans 11.36, it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. See, our whole focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, on God the Father, on God the Holy Spirit. So, motivations. And then was it done through the power of God? Was it done through the power of God? In other words, notice the passage in verse uh, verse 6, it says, uh, this passage we're in, but God gave the increase. Verse 9, God, God's fellow worker, God's field, God's building. I mean, again, it's not only about God, but is, are we operating with His power? Do we believe in John 15? Without, for without me, Jesus Christ speaking to His disciples, the vine and, the vine and branch uh, uh, analogy, without me, you can do nothing. I hope you get up in the morning with a sense of, Lord, I need you. Lord, whatever's happening today, some of it is really commonplace and I'm comfortable where I'm at. But Lord, I need you. I need your power. I need your insight. I need your wisdom. I need your conviction. And by the way, Lord, I also know that there's times where I could fall off the wagon today. So I just need your protection. I really hope that you as a believer are a needy person. Because that's exactly opposite of the culture. What does the culture say? Self-made man, independent, you know. Put on your own, you know, put up your bootstraps and just get going here. No, we are a needy people because we don't war against flesh and blood. So, power of God. And then are we doing it for the church of God? In other words, for the people of God. Are we doing it for the, the purposes that God... In other words, are we living our life for God's purposes? Why? Because... Each one, look at the evaluation. Verse 13, the evaluation is coming. This is for discernment, by the way, not discipline. Please see the judgment as not discipline. It's discerning. Okay, I've, I've allowed you to run your life from the moment of salvation. By the way, this would all start at the moment of your salvation, that you're brought into God's family. Now, how did you live your life? This is for discernment. And and notice he uses four specific words. I mean, Paul is really trying to impress upon us that this is an unveiling. (laughs) This is uh, the light is going to be shined on each one of our lives. Each one's work will become clear. Phaneros. That means apparent or manifest or known or evident. In fact, some of your versions might even have that. It's the same exact word except in an adjective form as we saw in the verb form in 2 Corinthians 5.10 where it says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's in the verb form. This is the adjective of that. Okay, But the idea is that we're laid open. We are exposed. In fact, the actual word appear, the root, once you follow it down, the root word, the root of that word appear is the word light. I wish I could turn off the lights and get a, uh, what do you call it, a million candle, is that what it is, a million candle, how, how do you spot deer? Is it a million candle power, is that what it is? You know, turn off all the lights if it was dark, and shine it right into Jimmy's eyes. Woo! Right? Uh, Light exposes darkness. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying we're going to appear before him. One man said this, to make clear the imagery is that we shall be turned inside out. 
to be laid bare, stripped of every outward facade of respectability, revealed in the full reality of one's character. That's scary. All of our hypocrisies and concealments, our secrets, all that, open to the scrutiny of Christ. By the way, this is where, if, you are, if you're in Corinthians, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a moment. Because it says, I want to point out a, a thing I've been mentioning, but I, but I never, I don't think, ever pointed out. It says uh, in verse 10, again, the things that are done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the good means good. The good means authentically good inherently good, intrinsically good. You're going to look at the good. By the way, we all like that, right? <laughs> yeah, let's look at the good. But then he says bad. Again, the bad there, the word, you might want to underline it and write. It is not the normal word that means evil or wicked, which is poneros or kakos. That's what those two words in the Greek, you know, evil, antichrist, evil. Adulterer, evil, that type of thing. This just means worthless. It's phalos. It's just worthless. He's going to look at the good, the intrinsically good, but then he's going to look at the worthless or the useless, no value. In fact, one guy said this. It, uh, it doesn't contemplate uh, evil under another aspect. It's not active evil. Rather, it's just good for nothingness. When he lays our life open... He's going to start looking and say, what is the good for nothingness? Oh, oh I see. Uh, huh, you, were, you watched 35,000 hours of TV. Hmm. How did that help your spiritual life? You listened to Rush Limbaugh for how many hours? God's gift to mankind. What does he say um, on loan from God? Talent on loan from God. I, I cringe because I don't think he understands that that's exactly right. That is exactly right. Everything we have is on loan from the Lord. It's, it's his. By the way, thankfully, I've really moved away from that guy. It's not that I never listen to him ever. My wife will catch me once in a while. The Holy, the Holy Spirit of the house. No. <laughs> no. no. But... Lord uses her, thankfully. Um, anyways, each one's work will become clear. That's the first. I will use the word like uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes' word. You know, he's very magnify, really finding out. Uh, number two, for the day will declare it. That word declare means to make known, manifest. Because it will be revealed by fire, a kupa, a, 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 a lupta. We get the word actually revelation, obviously, so revealed. That means to uncover, lay open what has been veiled. Because see, on this earth, really, uh, the motivations of the heart are rarely truly understood. You know, we all look good. We all, hey, shake the hand. Hi, how are you doing? You know, love Jesus. So let's walk with him. But what are we like at uh, Monday at eight o'clock at night? You know, what's really going on in the heart? Well, this word means to make bare. And then finally, the fourth is we'll test each one's work. Dakamazo. That means to examine, to prove. In fact, it says this in Second Corinthians. I'll just give you two uses of that word, dakamazo, in different parts of Scripture. In 13 verse 5, it says this. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. That word test is dakamazo. Test yourself. See if you're really in the faith. Because a lot of people walk and say they're with Jesus, say they're walking with Him, say they're believers and really are not. Dakamazo means test to see if it's genuine. In 1 Corinthians 11.28, again, the passage that uh, pertains to the Lord's table, it says, but let a man examine himself. And that's, by the way, uh, an imperative. That's a command. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Examine. See if you're standing before the Lord truly in fellowship. That's how it would be applied in, in the Lord's table. So this word dakamazo, 
test each one's work. That's 1 Corinthians 3.13. Test each one's work of what sort it is. The Lord is going to test to see if it's genuine. Uh, That word, and I know I've referenced this, but I'm going to give you a passage also. That word was again used of the, in the Greek culture, a dakamazo was a person, because see, what they did is they had coins. They didn't have paper. And their coins was made out of what? Silver, gold, bronze, uh, different uh, metals. And they would be poured into a mold, and they would take the coin. But it's because they were, it was never precise, and they had to shave the edge to make sure it was a pure amount of weight. But what would happen is people would get coins and shave a little bit more off. So you can make a nice little pile of gold if you start shaving. And then they would pass this coin off as, let's say, an example, one ounce, and it really wasn't. It was less than. But there was, I mean, there was like 80 different laws passed in Greece in the Greek time frame of regulating monetary policy so that people weren't doing that, shaving. I mean, it was a huge problem, you know, because can you imagine getting a gold piece and find out it was only two-thirds? But there were certain men who had, were men of integrity. And they would weigh. And anything you bought from them, you knew that it was exactly right. And they were called dakamas. Okay? They were the men of integrity. They were the men that were true. Okay? What they sold was exactly correct. And that's the word test. See, they were the testers that were found to be true men of integrity. So again... Dakamas approved. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, since we're in the book of Corinthians, just go quickly over Corinthians 9, verse 24. And I, I'm almost done. I always say that when I have 15 minutes to go. No, I won't be that long. I don't know, did Ken preach long or did he preach short? Don't even tell me. <laughs> Nobody even told me, so I don't know. Okay. I want you to get the intensity of Paul here, though. And I'm going to have you underline the last word of the passage I read because it makes a real big point. Look at verse 24. Do you not know, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? By the way, in a human race, that's correct. You know what's great about the the Christian race? We're not competing against each other. We're actually competing against ourself, our flesh, and and the world and the devil. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That's self-control. We have to have self-control if we're going to be a good runner. By the way, that word competes is agonizomai, uh, agonizes, you know, puts a lot of energy in. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I, he's talking about I, I, the great apostle, I, the person who wrote all the books of the New Testament. This is the guy writing this. The guy who sacrificed. The guy, look at his, what he's thinking though. I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. By the way, that word fight uh, is, is means I'm in the literal battle, not like shadow boxing. I fight not as one who beats the air. In other words, I'm not a shadow boxer. I'm, I'm in this. I'm in it to win it, as it were. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. By the way, you've got to bring your body into... You've got to make your body the, your slave. There's too many slaves that are slaves to their body. Some of us are slaves to our body. We go by our impulses, our feelings, our emotions. But he says, no, you've got to discipline my, your body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And that word disqualified is an ah, dakamas. He's using the exact same word he did in 1 Corinthians 3, just a few chapters earlier. He's saying, listen, I may, I may myself, the great Apostle Paul, I wouldn't say it that way, but we, we will say that. The Apostle Paul, the one who, all the revelations and all, he said, I, even I could be disqualified. Not salvation, but for reward. He says, I've got to discipline my body because I could run the race only to find that I am not able to be rewarded, disqualified, ad dakamas. When I read that, I said, wow. Do you see the mindset here? His mindset is, I am going to stay focused every moment until I see Jesus. So, we have to be, we're going to be tested. 
Understand that the world, the flesh, and the devil want to you know, get us off the path. As one said, one said this way, the flesh, the world, and everyday affairs, personal interests, and often simple laziness hinder spiritual growth and service. True, true. Just plain old laziness. You know, it's funny, but I realized I just I missed an entire page. I guess that was supposed to be for. The, <laughs> I, I, I was going along. I'm like, man, it seems like there was something else I had to say. Well, it was the page I missed. Yeah, we're just going to go on because we're almost out of time, anyways. The reward, the reward. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, if it, if, it, if the if the work endures, that's the potential reward. That's the potential. He will receive a reward. But everyone's going to re- receive a reward. No. Look at this. Verse second part, or first part of verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, what? He will suffer loss. See, that's the bad. Remember the bad of 2 Corinthians 5? That's what's burned up. That's what's worthless. That's what's useless. I will say this. I do not believe our sins will be exposed on the day of judgment. But I do believe that the results and the consequences of those sins will. What do you mean? Well, because those moments of time or those days or those months of time when I was not walking with Jesus Christ means my life was, was unproductive and that will be exposed at the judgment seat of Christ. So there's a potential for great loss. But look at verse... I'm so glad the last part of verse 15. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Salvation is intact, rewards were lost. Salvation is because we stand in Christ's righteousness. Rewards are based on the fact that I've walked with him. So our salvation stays intact, but we can have great, great loss. So again, and I say that because Philippians 1, 6 says this, confident that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He's going to complete it. So if he's begun the work of salvation, he will finish it out in my life. And I just say, praise God for that. By the way, the only thing I really missed was this. You know, when it comes to, um, you know, the fire, do not see that as purgatory. By the way, the fire is not even literal because it's not material that is being judged. It's our lives. But fire is the fact, of, it's illustrative of the fact that every, I mean, I, I remember, what is it? 11 years ago, this coming Saturday, is when I got the call that my house was burning. And I'll tell you what, that changed my life. That changed the rest of my life on this earth. Because what that fire did for me was this. Things that I, were, I thought were so sure were burned up. Isn't that just how it is with the fire when it comes to the judgment day? Things that we thought we were so good at, <laughs> yeah, we were really certain Jesus, may just burn. But this is the other thing. The potential of the precious in my life could have been also destroyed. I mean, and what I mean by that is my children. When I got the call, there was about eight minutes, seven minutes, that I wasn't sure if I was going to lose one of my children because what I thought my wife was telling me was one of the kids were still in the house. And when I got there, the first thing she did, because I was like running up to the house, and I was like, kids, because I saw her, so I knew she was safe, and kids. And she pointed up to the window across the street of our, uh, the big picture window at our neighbor's house, and I counted all seven children. And you know what? <sighs> because that's what's most precious to me right there, right? The people in my life. What's most precious to me right now, though, as far as running this race? To hear well done. To get to the end to see my life being rewarded and not just in a flame of fire, as it were. I left you with just a couple lessons. Lesson number one, the person you are today will determine the impact and the rewards you will receive for eternity. By the way, I didn't put eternity, but that's what it should have been, for eternity. What you are today, by the way, if you say, you know, I made a mess of my life today, you can start right now. You can start building with gold, silver, precious stones right now. Number two, every day we live is either a loss or a gain so far as our future reward. Every day. That's why every day is important. That's why Matthew Henry said it this way. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. And finally, rewards are not based on results or size of ministry. It's really based on faithfulness. 
So whether you're talking about your talents and abilities or your finances or your service or your gifts, your spiritual gifts or doing the one another or whatever else, I think Tozer had it right. Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will be judged not by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is measured not by how much I have given, but how much I could have given and how much I had left after all that I had gave. Or to say it this way, in America, it is very dangerous to have much in this life if you don't use it properly in relationship to the life to come. Do you see how that can play out? You could have so much in this life, and yet God says, well, you know, I'm the owner. I just gave it to you as a steward. But look at how it is so dangerous to have a lot in this life. And, and I would say most of us fall in this category. We have so much in this life. Let's make sure we're really using it for Him, whether it's your time, your ability, your spiritual gift, the finances that you have, the relationships that you built, the one another. All these things are our assets. So much, but sometimes we just kind of, well, you know, and then kind of get into selfish. Well, it's about me. And yet every one of those assets are going to be evaluated. Well, I gave you this. Now, what did you do with it? I gave you this. Now, what did you do with it? I gave you those relationships. How did you treat them? I gave you that church. How did you treat the people? Did you reach out? I gave you all that time, 73 years, three months, 21 days, and four hours. How did you use it? And so everything, and, and, and he's going like, come on guys, let's finish well because I want to get there. This is how the Lord's speaking. And I want to say, look at all you got for eternity because you walked with me. So he's the one that, he is, he is going to be so happy when he can reward his children. Because isn't that how it is in your life? Don't you love to see your kids do well? Don't you love to just see them follow in your footsteps? And, and be successful in the sense of the world? Well, yeah. Put the same thought in, in the Lord. Walk with Him, Christ-like. And then at the end, see, He's righteous and just. He can't give you something you didn't earn. But you did it. You sacrificed. You went through those trials. You went through those temptations. You were a good steward. You were a good manager. And now I can reward you because I am a righteous judge. And that is a day that I look forward to. I really do. I hope you look forward to it. So as we stand, let's stand, and I trust that you will really sing out to the Lord of glory.